You don't want to be known as soft. You don't want to be known as small. You don't want to be known as easy to push around. You know, this is a tough game. And there's a lot of tough guys. And um, these guys are warriors out on the ice. Welcome to Between the Hash Marks from the Business of Hockey and the Goal podcast with Richard York and Les Kowalski. Let's start this episode. Welcome to Between the Hash Marks. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the Calgary Flames. A lot of stuff has been going on, Richard, hasn't there, in the world, in the economy, in the NHL. Let's start with what your thoughts are on kind of where we are with the league and where we're going with things. Well, it's obviously like anybody can assume that it's it's really hard to predict where the NHL is going to go with this shutdown, with the COVID-19, whether the season is written off, whether they do summer games. We don't know where the league is going to go. But with us talking about what we're talking about, the structure of these Between the Hashmark episodes has to do with templating a business strategies that have happened. And what we're going to be talking about with these franchises have to do with moves they've already made and how does that foreshadow the future and business techniques. So we're hoping that everybody's staying safe and you're staying at home and you're keeping yourself clean and hygienic so that we can get on top of the spread for sure. But as time goes on, we're going to continue doing these episodes and giving them to you guys so that you can listen to them and know that they are not going to be impacted if there is no more hockey this season, which would be very unfortunate from a hockey fan point of view. It's uh, It'd be very unfortunate, but obviously the priority for everybody is safety and we have to do what's safe and what's right. And what's safe and right is that these guys stay at home with their families. So when we're dealing with the Calgary Flames franchise, all of the things that I'm going to be talking about that we're going to be talking about have to do with a lot of what happened in the off season. You can't ignore what's happened off the ice as the season has gone on with the Calgary Flames. There's been a lot of unfortunate circumstances and there's been a lot of drama that has surfaced. First and foremost, recently the uh, CEO of the ownership group for the Calgary Flames has passed away, Mr. Ken King, who's always been there as far as I know. And as far as I can remember, he's always been the face of the ownership group. And it's it's really unfortunate and it's really sad to hear of his passing. And to me, it was rather sudden. I didn't hear any buildup or anything to it. So it's it's very unfortunate. And my thoughts and prayers are out to his family and obviously his co-workers because he was involved with a lot of people being at the top of an NHL franchise like that. Do you know how long he was actually in the position that he was in? I don't know any actual figures or numbers, but certainly well over a decade. Like He's been there a long time. I've always known him as part of the Calgary Flames organization. So he's been there for a long time. He was the the face of the negotiations for the new arena build that has been approved in Calgary now. That took a lot longer than it should have. He was also the facilitator of a lot of what we're going to be talking about in this episode as far as trickle-down effect into management that has happened for the uh, Calgary Flames and how he's helped steer the franchise in the direction that we're seeing now. A lot of other things have happened with the Calgary Flames here as well. In our last uh, syndicate episode, we brought up the unfortunate news with uh, 
uh, Chris Snow, their assistant general manager, and his uh, diagnosis. Our hearts still go out to him and his family as he battles it. But also you can't ignore the fact that the situation around Bill Peters earlier in the season, as of now, has kind of hopefully blown over for the most part. But that was certainly a whirlwind off the ice that landed right on the shoulders of the general manager. And all of this has impacted him and his job in some way. That's tough. You know, as a general manager, you got a personal connection with the coach and with the coach's family. And then to have that come to light and the repercussions for that, you know, his family has to take the hit for that too, not just him. And then to find out about your assistant general manager and the head of your analytics department getting diagnosed with ALS. And now the CEO, the guy that you have been dealing with straight to ownership of the franchise has passed away. So Brad Treliving, as the current general manager of the Calgary Flames, I would consider his year rather rough. Sometimes really hard to recover from something like that when you have key people that you're depending on all have significant issues that will impact the operations of the business. Doesn't matter if it's what size of businesses it is. If you have a, a key person in place, that individual is going to have a significant impact, positive or negative, moving forward. So this is definitely more than likely creating a major rethinking or reorganization or strategy on how they want to be be able to move forward from this point. What's your thoughts on that? Well, certainly we're going to get a lot of stuff to talk about, about what's going to happen to the business because of what's happening from management up. It's hard to predict and it's hard to know what's going to happen as the NHL as a whole, that there's going to be a lot of business decisions made and there's going to be a lot of adapting made. As your last podcast series for your Power Insights talks about the disruptive nature of business and it is certainly through a wrench to their timelines. But if you take the whole COVID-19 situation out, Ken King would still unfortunately have passed and Bill Peters would still have been, we'll say suspended and then quit. So kind of a mutual separation. And Chris Snow's diagnosis would still be there. This COVID-19 thing just adds to the situation that's on his shoulders. But even if you took that out of the equation, he still has had a lot to deal with. And you know what? That's I'm sure he's had an incredibly emotional time to deal with it. You know, when you're dealing with hockey, it's business. And usually it's about business, but you create relationships with people and you get to know them. You get to know their families. And when things like this happen, it cuts deep. From the outside looking in, I would say Brad Treliving has a lot of wounds. I'm sure a lot of people in the Calgary Flames franchise have a lot of wounds because of what's been happening behind the scenes here. And it's very unfortunate. We don't want to dwell on that uh, too much. It was important, though, that we brought it up and we brought up the, the difficult nature of the situation that's happening in Calgary off of the ice. Know that we recognize it and that we talk about it with the knowledge of the difficulties that he has had to go through. With respect to the NHL season, there's an article by the Associated Press dated April 7th, 2020. Gary Bettman is acknowledging, he said in an interview, that they're considering having games at neutral sites and that not all teams would be allowed to be playing at their home rinks. He said that everything is on the table and that the regular season might be squeezed in order so that they can award a Stanley Cup. He says that we're looking at all options. Nothing's been ruled in. Nothing's been ruled out. I think it's a major issue with what's happening with COVID-19 because the border is shut. So it becomes that much more dynamically 
and logistically complex when you have Canadian and American teams and they can't play each other in a in a division. I mean, it just creates a logistical nightmare of how you are going to be able to move forward from something like that. And in my last episode, the COVID-19 disruption series that I'm putting together, I had brought up a doctor by the name of Dr. Robert Lufkin. He's based out of California. He is a medical school professor. And on his Twitter account, it's very fact-based and very straight up-based. And he makes it really clear is that this particular virus has characteristics that go beyond the norm, suggesting that the six feet social distancing is not enough, that they're noticing that it has the potential of transmitting up to 23 feet. They're noticing that some people are immune to the virus, uh, but they're carriers. And so they are asymptomatic and they never get it. So the main situation is that if you try to open up an arena, you try to have all your elite players come into that environment, it creates a variable that from the business side, I just don't think that they're going to finish the season. I think that it's too high of a risk to try to roll the dice for entertainment purposes. And I think that the NBA was very quick in their decision on what they wanted to do. I would personally, I think I'd be very surprised if they actually completed the NHL season and who knows how they're going to do this. It's possible. I don't think that they would do it, but it's possible that they could take what's been done up to the point that COVID-19 showed up and they may just carry that over into next season. If you can't do anything until potentially November, December of next year, you might just pick up where you left off and then then you just kind of wipe out a season. So from a business standpoint, I just don't see them doing something like that. Well, it's it's certainly hard to commit to, especially the media, about what they are going to do, because I'm sure they don't know either, is that there's a lot of factors in place here. The template that Gary Bettman was using for the potential hockey games in a central location with no fans is actually a template he's taking from baseball because it's baseball that's talking about doing that down in Arizona is is that they were going to bring all 30 teams down there and that they would all be set up in hotels and that they would go play their game and then they would be in self-isolation in the hotel rooms. Just even the thought of that is a hard gig. Baseball Baseball plays is like 180 games plus. Can you imagine doing that for, you know, even if they shorten the season in half, that's still 80 games, months that you would have to live like that. And I understand these guys want to get paid and the only way they're going to get paid is they have to be on a field or on a rink, but that's a tough gig. Gary Bettman was taking the the template idea from baseball. And I think if baseball can figure it out because their season hasn't started yet and they want it, they, they'll figure something out one way or another. Baseball leans more on television rights anyway than filling stadiums. I think if baseball can figure out a certain template to use to keep themselves safe and secure and the players are willing to do it, I think if the NHL and the NHLPA can figure something out and everybody's ingredients with it, I think they'll use baseball as a template to patch together a playoff period or or something, even if it's like a World Cup, that they do something like that again, just to keep people entertained. 
and keep the the hockey idea alive, you know, to do something that they, who knows, like, we don't know how this is all going to lay out. We don't know what it's going to look like a month from now, let alone three or four months from now. So it's hard to predict. What you guys can expect from us is probably the same layouts and same content, even if there's an extra spin on it because of the situation that's currently happening now worldwide. Our topic material still remains the same and our goals still remain the same. The only person I have to worry about in the studio right now is Les. And if he gets me sick, trust me, I'll be the first one to to let him know. Now let's get back to the uh, Calgary Flames and their management strategy, especially over the offseason, because there was a lot of young kids in the league that needed contracts that were asking for big contracts. And some kids took less money for the security of a contract, and some kids took a lot of money and a lot of term because they were able to leverage it from their franchises. And some people ended up somewhere in the middle. First and foremost, let's start right from the top and say that it was Ken King who hired a man named Brian Burke, which I'm sure most of us hockey fans know who he is, hired him on to be the president of hockey operations for the Calgary Flames franchise. He went right to work to revamp the management. At the time, it was Jay Feaster, who was the general manager of the hockey team at that time. Brian Burke has plenty of experience as a general manager of a hockey club. So he did not wait till the end of the season to relieve Jay Feaster of his duties. And he carried the team as an intern general manager until the end of the season. After the season, and I'm sure during the season, he went right to work interviewing and he had a list of potential general managers that he wanted to bring into the Calgary Flames franchise. And he found himself a man named Brad Treliving, who at the time was the assistant general manager for the Coyotes franchise. And he was apparently the top of Brian Burke's list. And I'm not entirely sure why. And I had no idea who Brad Treliving was before his hiring as the general manager. So he kind of came out of left field a little bit, especially when he admitted that he was the most excited man in the room when Brad Treliving agreed to be general manager. What I want to do is talk a little bit about who Brad Treliving is. Let's start with the Coyotes, because I think it's really important to be able to provide a reference point on how strong of a business and ownership group the Coyotes organization truly is. From The Athletic, there is an article that was came out on April the 6th, 2020, and there's a survey that has been done. In the survey, people were asked a series of questions, and the survey results were ranked between one as low and five as high. And here are some of the results. What is your confidence level in the Coyotes' ownership? 58% gave it a five, which was high. 36% gave it a four. What is your confidence level in the Coyotes' business side leadership? 51.1% gave it a five. 37% gave it a four. What is your confidence level in the Coyotes hockey operations management staff headed by John Chaka and Steve Sullivan? 49.7% gave it a five, 34.4% gave it a four. What are they doing down in the desert there? That's a good question. But if you go back to what we talked about previously in two episodes ago, we talked about John Chaka and how strong he was on the business side and coming down. And the thing with Brad Treliving, he comes from a business family. His father is Jim Treliving, who is the owner and CEO of Boston Pizza. And I'm just looking here on Google. When you type in Jim Treliving has a section under what is his net worth 
It says that Jim Treliving is a businessman and television personality who has a net worth of $700 million. Wow. Right? He's wow. also one of the investors on Dragon's Den. Now, that's significant. Wow. That's significant because if you are going to be involved in an organization like a hockey franchise, as I mentioned before, you're dealing in hundreds of millions of dollars. And I think that Brad Treliving was a hot commodity to Brian Burke. Yeah. Because when you grow up in that type of environment, you are much more accustomed to those type of numbers. And it goes back to what I said when we began this series, talking about Ken Holland and Peter Shirelli. When Peter Shirelli was given the keys to the bank accounts, that can make your head spin. And I think the reason why Ken Holland is such a trusted resource and individual for the Illich family, or he was, is because he protected that money for the Illich family. And when everything started going sideways in Edmonton, when he was brought in, he brought that same loyalty and that same perspective to protect Kate's money and the family business. And so if you're in a hockey franchise, you're not going to just bring in some Yahoo off the street and say, you're going to start managing this. You have to have some type of pedigree so that you're not going to get psychologically affected by those type of numbers. And it doesn't matter what franchise you're in. It could be running in 100, 200 million budgets, or it could be higher. It could be 800 or 900 million dollar budgets, right? But you have to be psychologically prepared in order to work in that type of environment because if you're not psychologically prepared to work in that type of environment just from the money side, it's going to cloud you. One of the things that I've always said when you're building a business, never focus on the money, always focus on the enterprise. Because the moment that you focus on the money, you're already behind the eight ball because you're completely not focusing on the goals that you're trying to achieve and it will start clouding your judgment. And I've held that opinion for a very long time. And this is proof that Brad Treliving, because of that pedigree and because he had been exposed through Jim Treliving and through family in those type of numbers, it wasn't such a big deal to go in there. I honestly think in a really weird way, the Coyotes almost seem with the strength of the business side, they almost remind me of like a business accelerator. An organization like in Silicon Valley will bring in a startup company. They have advisors and mentors in there. It kind of has that flavor a little bit where you have someone like Triliving come in, learn the ropes, learn the different elements, and then he jumps off into another franchise. So whatever they've put in place in the Coyotes, when you have the public from that athletic survey so happy with what they're doing in Arizona, you got to step back and think, okay, what's really going on down there? Well, they're certainly trying to keep the franchise down in Arizona, and it's had some rocky times over the years as far as arenas and contracts. The NHL has been pretty determined to keep the franchise there. So it makes sense that if there was businessmen that caught their eye or that were well-connected, that they would funnel them to potentially one of the weaker fan bases to try and help inflate the numbers. That's just good business is that you stick your strongest guns in the weakest part of the company. And if you're looking at the NHL as a company, potentially, this is a theory, they've focused a lot of this business practices through the Coyotes franchise to try and help get them off the ground and make them sustainable because that's a big population down there that they want to keep plugged into, that that's part of their expansion plans. But if we look back at Brad Treliving, he 
obviously came up through the Coyote franchise, whether that was through opportunity or business savvy or family connections, however that goes. It certainly makes sense that Brian Burke, as the businessman and the business institution that he's created, that a savvy businessman with a business background and a business family like Brad Treliving, who's an assistant general manager learning the ropes, would be attractive to him. That he would want to bring in somebody who is better business savvy than previous ones. Jay Feaster, who was the general manager that was let go during Brian Burke's term, was a lawyer. So he obviously had a decent background as well. So there's certainly speaking to the ability to handle big numbers and big business. Brad Treliving crossed off all of Brian Burke's boxes, I guess, and he joined the Calgary Flames franchise. He had to lean on Brian Burke. He admitted he had to, to help him learn the ropes and whatnot, but Brian Burke was more than willing. He helped steer him in a good direction. From the outside looking in, it looks like there's a lot of stability in the general manager position. Now, that's easy to say earlier in the season. Who knows where everything lies now with Ken King passing and obviously the the season ending and whatnot. We don't know how the NHL is going to adapt, but I don't think Brad Treliving is going anywhere. I think he's a fixture and I think he's doing his job. And we can certainly talk about some of the things and some of the business savvy decisions that he has made as a general manager. So first and foremost, let's talk about some of the big names he had to sign as a general manager. First and foremost, it was their captain, Mark Giordano. Mark Giordano signed his contract knowing that he left money on the table, that he gave them a hometown discount. He admitted that to the media and he knew why he did. Any player who gives a hometown discount is because they want to give their franchise the best opportunity to build a team around them, right? And certain players have different mentalities. It depends if they live in the city or not live in the city, so on and so forth. That was what Mark Giordano chose to do. And if you look at the history of Mark Giordano, he won the Norris Trophy last season as the best defenseman in the league. He is certainly not making as much as Eric Carlson and Drew Doughty and Brett Burns and these guys who are making monster dollars. He's a very humbled man. He's the leader of that team. He is the captain on and off of the ice. He's a leader in the community. He is certainly a guy to build your franchise around. And Brad Treliving not only built his franchise around it, he built it around his contract financially. And I wanted to talk about the template that he used. And Giordano was his fulcrum, his leverage point. And the two people he had, well, the two most notable people he had to sign was Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan, who is a first line winger and Sean Monaghan is the first line center. Both coming off their entry level contracts in the same year, Johnny Goudreau came from Boston, the university program there. So he had a two year entry level contract and Sean Monaghan came from the CHL. So he had a three year entry level contract and they both entered their contract year the same time. Brad Treliving had to sign these two superstars at the same time. Cap was a bit tighter back in those days, so it was a little harder. There's lots of people to compare those two guys to in the league, but you saw them going all over the board with who was signed. Some people were signed for too much. Some people were signed for too little. Certainly in Calgary, the agents were leveraging for more and more and more. The weapon that Brad Treliving used was Mark Giordano's contract, which was for a shave under $7 million a season. From the outside looking in, the template that he used was Mark Giordano's contract to make sure that the leader on the ice, the leader off the ice, the captain on the ice, the captain off the ice, in the public's eye, in the community, in every way, Mark Giordano was the leader, is that he was also going to be the leading contract. And it was his contract that he used as a cap to sign these two young kids coming off their entry level. 
Mark Giordano had to prove his worth over and over and over again. He was never drafted. He was given a tryout two years after his draft eligibility, and he worked his way up. He absolutely worked his way up, and he had to earn this contract. And he is 30, 36 now or so, I believe, and he is still a workhorse. He still comes to the rink, the one that's in the best shape and conditioning. And, you know, he, he leads in every aspect and he had a good mentor in Jerome McGinley as far as how to pass those reins on as captain. And he's the kind of captain that any franchise would want. He's the kind of defenseman that any franchise would want. And Brad Treliving certainly used him as a template, a contract template for the two young kids that he had to sign. And it took a lot of time. It took a lot of negotiating and it took a lot of leveraging uh, to the point where even Brad Treliving and Brian Burke himself had to go to Johnny Goodrow's parents' house to sit and have a face-to-face with the kid and explain to them their their financial goals and their business template and what they were doing. But eventually Johnny Goodrow got on board and he signed within a week at that point. And both of them signed for under what Giordano was making. It was just a hair, but it was still what they wanted. And they used Giordano's contract as a fulcrum and as a leverage to do that. And I thought that was a pretty good business practice. This has been part one of Between the Hash Marks. Next week, we'll be posting part two of this one-hour episode. Thanks for listening to Between the Hash Marks on the business of hockey and the goal. Till next week. Thanks for listening to Between the Hash Marks from the Business of Hockey and the Goal, produced by the Power Roadmap Podcast. Until next time.